Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Fit Literate Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Carolyn Vig, and I am here by myself today because we are in our first week of mini episodes, which Laura and I record solo on a single topic that we're just kind of feeling like talking about this week. So if you haven't listened to Laura's yet, after you listen to this one, definitely go check hers out. It's about how to get started when you are pursuing a new goal. I mean, in life in general, but maybe more specifically in like health and fitness and wellness. Um, It's a wonderful episode. I finished recording it right, or I finished editing it right before I started recording this one. Um, But basically these mini episodes um, all have a theme. Hers are called Energy Bites because she's trying to deliver some bite-sized information and inspiration to get you energized about taking care of yourself and pursuing any goals that you have around like fitness and wellness. And my episodes are called detoxes, not because we're going to be talking about juice cleanses. I am using the word a little more ironically. We are going to be detoxing our brains of the, well, I guess toxic (laughs) beliefs that we have been taught by diet culture and just generally the world around us that, um, don't actually vibe very well with our personal values and goals and desires. And we're going to deconstruct these ideas so that we can instead develop belief systems around fitness and wellness and nutrition and body image that are actually more conducive with our well-being. Um, Because if you have if you follow along with any of the content that I have put out there in the last like four or five years or so, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I talk about a lot. And there's a lot of really awful messaging out there in the world about fitness and health um, and bodies and like what is good and bad, what is healthy and not healthy. And yeah, a lot of times the messages that are being pushed on us are designed more to sell us something than actually help us. So that is what we are going to be doing today. Um, Before we dive into today's topic, though, I do just want to quickly shout out our Patreon. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash fitliteratepod. And even if you don't... uh, have the ability or the desire to contribute uh, financially on the Patreon. We would still love it if you um, followed us on Instagram and, you know, gave us some moral support that way uh, with a little, a little like and follow. But anyway, let's get into today's topic. So we are going to be talking about what it means for something to be good for you. Because that's a phrase that we hear all the time. And no, not just in the Olivia Rodrigo song that is the namesake of this uh, episode title. (laughs) Um, I just mean in life in general, especially when we are considering things like exercise, food, or any other behaviors that are meant to have an impact on our health and wellness, the phrases good for you and bad for you are often thrown around and often thrown around with a lot of... um, definitiveness. (laughs) There are definitely a lot of claims about which things are good for you and which things are bad for you. And sometimes it can be confusing because depending on who you're talking to or when you're hearing it, 
these claims can be a little bit contradictory and it can make it really hard to know what the hell we are supposed to even be doing in order to take good care of ourselves. Because I think ultimately, that's what most of us want to do. We want to be taking good care of ourselves so that we can live long, happy lives where we feel good. (laughs) And there are a lot of companies and people and institutions that have a vested interest in pushing certain narratives about which behaviors, which products, which services um, should be considered good for us or bad for us because they're able to use those um, judgments in order to sell us certain things. So the the whole idea of what is good for you gets really, really complicated because we've got these messages coming from so many different places and they often don't line up. So I'm going to give you my take on this. And of course, you can expect this take to uh, be a little bit of a non-answer. You know, it's different for everybody and there's lots of nuance. But let's dive into that nuance, dive into that uh, it's different for everyone concept so that you can come up with sort of a definition for yourself of what makes something good or bad for you specifically. So when I think of something being good for you, quote unquote, I think of it meaning that it generally adds value to your quality of life in some way. And for our conversation today, we're specifically, you know, talking about things that are meant to uh, improve or maintain or support our health. That could be physical health, mental health, whatever it is. So there are lots of things that are generally considered to be good for us, that there's a pretty good consensus. Like, yeah, these things are good for you. Um, Some examples are like eating vegetables, staying hydrated, getting good enough, like getting good sleep, getting enough sleep. And I think for the most part, like we can pretty much agree that all of those things in general are good for us. But obviously, it's not as easy as that because when we're making actual decisions in our day-to-day lives about how we take care of ourselves, how we um, square that with the challenges that life throws at us, where we have to make compromises, that's where it gets hard. So what exactly makes something good for you? It seems like it should be obvious, but yeah, basically if something is good for you, it, like I said before, it improves or supports your health in some way. And if something is bad for you, it makes you less healthy. It harms your health in some way. So I'm going to read a couple definitions. Um, The first definition of the word healthy that I would like to share is from the World Health Organization. And it's a really simple definition. And it defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So basically what this means is that health is the absence of disease or sickness and also it is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. So I think this is a great definition if you are kind of looking for a a little bit of like a utopian definition of health, like what is health in the most optimal context. But 
I would argue that it is nearly impossible to meet this definition of health because we are human. Life is messy. Our bodies are imperfect. Our world is imperfect. And shit happens that makes it impossible to be in a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being all the time. Um, so I don't know if this definition is a really good one for us to use in our personal lives when we're thinking about making decisions to support our health. Um, so I personally love the definition from the uh, Association for Size, Diversity, and Health. So this is the organization that um, has defined uh, like health at every size, and they're a great resource for information on the concept of health at every size. But I personally love their definition of the word health or healthy. So they say... The Association for Size, Diversity, and Health affirms a holistic definition of health, which cannot be characterized as simply the absence of physical or mental illness, limitation, or disease. So that's similar to the, to the WHO definition. But then they go on to say, rather, health exists on a continuum that varies with time and circumstances for each individual. Health should be conceived as a resource or capacity available to all regardless of health condition or ability level and not as an outcome or objective for living. Pursuing health is neither a moral imperative nor an individual obligation and health status should never be used to judge, oppress, or determine the value of an individual. So I love this definition um, and for so many reasons. And I'm sure in future episodes, I'll go into uh, the different reasons that I like it. But today, I just want to hone in on kind of this one part in the middle, um, that health should be conceived as a resource or capacity available to all. So I love thinking of health in this way, that it's not an objective, it's not a goal to reach. Um, it is it is a, a a pool of resources that is available to you in one capacity or another, and that's going to de be determined by a lot of different factors. So people's um, uh, ability to access health as a resource is going to depend on things like their income, their access to nutritious food and healthcare, and um, like the time and ability to exercise, it's going to be their, their pool of health resource to pull from is going to be impacted by any like chronic uh, conditions that they may deal with or um, their experience of trauma or oppression or other lifestyle and environmental factors that may or may not be within their control. I love this definition because it really lets each individual, you know, when we're not thinking on like a community or a global scale, but it lets you as the individual, when you are considering your personal health and your personal relationship to health, um, to kind of create a definition that works in your life. So that is what we are going to do today. Because I, I know at least before I read this definition, I never considered health in that way. I always thought of it as like, you are healthy or you are not. And the things that you do are either healthy or they're not. But when you think of health in this really individualized way, it 
provides context and reasoning for why the same behavior, one person could say it's healthy and another person could say that it's not because both are true depending on your circumstances. So I am going to provide you a couple of examples of how that shows up. So the first example is the idea that exercise is good for you, which is often true because physical activity supports heart health, bone health, metabolic health. It can have positive effects on your mood and your quality of sleep. And it can, you know, in some cases reduce pain and risk of injury. And these are all really good, healthy things. But not everyone is going to experience exercise in that way. There are circumstances where exercise is not healthy or not healthy in the same way for everyone. So for example, if you are currently dealing with like an acute illness, like if you have some kind of infection, uh, maybe exercise isn't the best idea. Maybe you should be resting actually. (laughs) And that goes for other things uh, that are more like chronic conditions as well. Certain um, chronic diseases like PCOS or thyroid disease or anything else that kind of deals with hormone imbalances, exercising too much or too intensely can actually have negative health impacts. So just the blanket phrase of exercise because it's good for you doesn't really apply the same way in every situation. So instead of just believing exercise is good, so why when I exercise do I feel bad? You can think about what um, circumstances are affecting my body's ability to exercise? What circumstances am I experiencing that might make certain types of exercise inappropriate for me or unhealthy for me? And you can get a little bit more specific that way so that you can figure out the way of moving your body that actually is good for you instead of just the blanket statement that exercise is good for you no matter what, no matter what type. So another example, this time kind of on the nutrition perspective, I really hope this is recording still. Um, So another example kind of along the lines of food is the idea of going gluten-free. So depending on who you ask, going gluten-free is either like the best thing ever and everybody needs to do it because gluten is poison and gluten is so awful. Or on the flip side of things, there is absolutely nothing wrong with gluten and this is all fear-mongering and... um, you know, it's fine. And obviously both of those perspectives, when you try to look at it in a black and white way, are going to be wrong in some circumstances. Because for someone who has celiac disease and they their body has an immune reaction to the gluten protein, yeah, they're not going to want to eat gluten. Avoiding gluten is good for them and eating it is bad for them. There you go. But then on the other side of things, if you don't have celiac disease, there's a pretty good chance that eating gluten is just fine for you. And in fact, avoiding it unnecessarily um, might actually be, quote unquote, bad for you because it's placing too many limitations on what foods you have available to you. You actually let yourself eat. It might be hard for you to get enough nutrition in day to day, or it might um, become stressful or obsessive trying to avoid it. And that just isn't good for your mental health. So Like I said earlier in the episode, the fitness and wellness industries have a vested interest in defining like what is good for us and what is bad for us. And that 
makes it hard for us to know what is actually good for us and bad for us because we are being manipulated by marketing constantly. (laughs) You know, they'll either use the kind of positive end of it and saying like, this is good for you and solve your problem and will solve your problems to try to convince you to buy something. Or on the flip side, they'll point out this is bad for you and you should avoid it all costs and buy this alternative instead. And, you know, it makes sense that companies and industries would do this in order to market their products and convince consumers to buy them. But it does make it complicated for individuals to make choices that are actually aligned with their needs and their values. The bottom line here and the reason I'm bringing this up again is just to reiterate that like the health and wellness industries are industries and depending on the individual or the organization that you are specifically like working with or a consumer of, you can't guarantee that they're actually going to have your best interest in mind because the industry in general does not. The industry in general is their pri- the priority is to make money. So you have to be um you have to be critical and really really think carefully about how you are being marketed to um and what what messages you are being told to believe and how that might conflict with what you actually need. So how do you do this? Basically, making decisions about what is good for you or what is bad for you comes down and like, I mean you, like you specifically, (laughs) you specifically, it comes down to first understanding what health means to you and what supporting health looks like in your life. So that's why I brought up those definitions before. And I think it would be really useful if you're listening to this and you're trying to, you know, make changes to um, your behaviors in order to support your health, I think it would be good for you to look at that definition and see how that kind of fleshes out in your life. So for me, when I am defining health for myself and what that ends up looking like in my life, um, I, I have some examples here. So I am someone with some digestive issues. So for me, pursuing health often means minimizing digestive discomfort. And one way that I do this is uh, like avoiding certain forms of dairy products that I know just really upset my system. Um, Another thing that for me is important when it comes to pursuing health is managing uh, feelings of anxiety and panic. And there's a few different things that I do for this. I go to therapy. I do certain like journaling and meditation practices. And one thing that I have learned throughout my life is that my anxiety gets really bad when my job satisfaction is low. So for me, a part of caring for myself and caring for my health is actually making sure that I like my job in some way, which isn't necessarily the first thing you think of when you're thinking about like health and wellness, because you don't do it in a gym, you can't cook it in the kitchen. But for me, job satisfaction has turned out to be really important for my health. Um, And I have a couple other examples here, but uh, yeah, I guess the last one I'll say is that I know that moving my body daily in ways that don't exhaust me is really important because I found that I have a tendency to overexert myself, overburden my nervous system, and often kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back before I slide into burnout mode is a workout that was just way too hard or physical activity that was just way too exhausting. 
So making sure that my workouts match my energy capacity is so important for make sure that I don't, you know, harm my health and go into burnout mode. Um, and again, that kind of counteracts the general cultural narrative about fitness, which is like, you know, going harder is better. The more effort, the better. And I found that for me, most of the time, that actually is not a healthy decision for me. So, so if I were to kind of give you a recommendation for maybe like a little uh, like journal prompt for you, it would be to go through this exercise yourself. Come up with a list of um, things related to health um, that are important to you, like ways that health um, shows up in your life or the places in your life that are most impacted by the concept of health. And then thinking of a couple of examples for each of those of um, the ways that you currently or maybe could maintain that part of your life in order to support your health. So I just found that to be when I was writing these notes out a very useful um, practice, like a very useful exercise. So I recommend it if you're, especially if you are struggling to understand like what the hell you should even be doing to take care of yourself. That's where I would start. Like what is important to you in your life? What does health look like in your life and what behaviors support that definition of health for you? So the last piece of this that I feel like I need to mention is that when you are considering a behavior change or you're thinking about, you know, what health looks like for you, are you focused on how these behaviors or how this aspect of health will make you look or how it will make you feel? Because it is just a truth that in our society, beauty and health, even though they are very separate things, have become very connected and confused with each other. Um, and that's not to say it's bad to prioritize, you know, looking a certain way. Um, but just remember that beauty and health are different. And adhering to the current culture's beauty standards does not necessarily reflect a healthy experience or a feeling of well-being in the body. And the the marketing around health and fitness and beauty definitely make it seem like those things are way more connected than they actually are. And um and not to say that they are completely disconnected from one another, but they are not the same thing. So this is where I would urge you to investigate. Like if I believe that weight loss um, or fat loss or making my body a different shape is important for my health, I would maybe ask why. Um, it, am I focused on weight loss because of how it will make me look or how it will make me feel? And I, I'm not here to tell you the right answer to these questions. I think there are so many reasons why someone would choose to lose weight. And I am not one to judge the validity or morality of those reasons. But I just urge you to be as critical about that as everything else that we've talked about. And make sure that you really are prioritizing feeling well and not just looking the way you think you are supposed to look. Um and I know that that's hard to do, but, you know, we are here for the tough conversations in these detox episodes. Um, and if you and if you do decide that, you know, beauty 
is important to you and looking a certain way is important to you, that like that great for you. That's awesome. Um, but it's important to understand like the risks and the downsides of the things that you do in order to look good and make sure that you're okay with that trade-off and that any, you know, side effects that might take away from your health and well-being in the name of looking a certain way, um, it, you got to make sure that that's something that you are actually okay with. Because if you're not, then those beauty goals are not worth pursuing for you. If you value your health more than that, if that's not a trade-off that you are actually actually okay with, it's important that you're honest with yourself about that so that you're not needlessly suffering. You know, I don't want you to suffer. I want you to feel good. <laughs> so that's where I'm going to end it. I know we're ending on kind of the heavy stuff. Um, and, but we are coming up on, you know, almost 30 minutes here. So I want to wrap it up. Um, but yeah, that, that is our conversation for today. It, and basically the conclusion is that what is good for you and what is bad for you is going to depend on a lot of different things. And you are the only one who can decide what the right answer is for you. There's lots of resources that you can reference, that you can get ideas and knowledge and inspiration from. But in the end, you are the one who makes the decision. And it doesn't matter what your favorite, uh, like blogger says, or even necessarily what, you know, certain experts say, even if someone is an expert in their field, they are not an expert in your body and your life. And you should always feel like you have permission to make the decisions that you know are going to be best for you. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Remember to, uh, Leave a review, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. Check us out on Patreon and Instagram. And we will be back next week with another long episode. And I really think you are going to have fun with it. So thanks for listening. And I will talk to you again soon.